Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all today. How many of you loving this hot weather? Yeah, I'm with you. They didn't respond. Amen. <laughs> Man, what happened to spring? It just up and left. It's spring, I guess spring has sprung and now it is gone. The... Uh, it's, it was so hot. Thank the Lord for air conditioning. How many of you appreciate the BTUs? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad for it too. Good to see everybody today. So glad to be home. Last weekend I was out of town for a funeral and I was ministering in another church, but it's good to be home today. We are kicking off a little two-part sermon series here on Serve Sunday and next Sunday as well called Serve, and I'm just going to jump right in. Does that sound good? We've got three core values here at Life Church. Um, you've seen them probably around the building. They're posted on the back walls. There's some pictures of them in the lobby. And they're simple, but they're also very intentional. And they happen when we place ourselves in three different environments continually. Environments where we gather and connect and serve. And that's our core values, gather, connect, and serve. And it's really not our idea. The idea began in the New Testament with the first followers of Jesus. And here's how the New Testament described the way that the early church lived their lives. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 46. If not, you can look up on the screen. But it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It said they worshiped at the temple each day, they met in homes for communion, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now these three environments framed their habits, and really they experienced God in a beautiful way. They grew spiritually, they grew numerically. And what are those three core values? Well, we like to define them here at Life Church as gather. We gather on weekends to worship in church. That's what you're doing here right now this morning. We also invest in the relationships that we have with people outside of the church, and we invite them to join us on our weekend gatherings. The second core value is connect. Tracy talked to you a little bit about that just now. We connect and grow with other believers in small groups that meet throughout the year. We call them life groups here. We just finished our spring semester and, and, uh, and just uh, pretty soon, and I think she said June 19th, we'll be kicking off our summer semester very soon. But our third core value is serve, and that's the one I wanna talk to you about today and next week. Gathering on weekends is how we experience and know God in a large worship setting. Connecting throughout the week is how we find freedom in our lives through building relationships with others and growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But serving is the third essential part of a real relationship with God.
Because it takes what happens in a crowd on Sunday and what happens when we connect in a small group during the week and it empowers you and I to actually make a difference by finding our purpose and using our purpose for the glory of God. See, because we're never more like Jesus than when we're serving other people. Can you say amen to that? In fact, that's really what it means at the end of the day to be a follower of Jesus. And that is to serve like he served. I want you to look at what Jesus said about this subject in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 27. And he said, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow, that kind of flips the script on the way we normally think. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And if you want to be first, what did he say you have to do? You've got to be a slave to others. And Jesus is calling each of us to a life of service. Serving others really should be a fundamental part of who we are. We live to serve just as Jesus came to serve. But what does it really mean? What does it mean to serve? Service is really all about ministering to the needs of other people. When you give, you're serving. When you show kindness or care to someone else, you're serving. When we stop to help someone in need, we're serving, right? When we discover our gifts and we use them, for the glory of God to benefit his kingdom, we are serving. Now, here's something I know and I've learned over the years. You cannot be selfish and serve at the same time. Come on, somebody. You know it's true. You might go through the motions of serving for a while. You might kind of go through and jump through the hoops. You might, you might do it. But if your heart is not in it, and if you're selfish, and if it's just not, pretty soon you're not going to be doing it anymore. Because service is not for personal gain. It's not for selfish ambition. But it is to show the genuine care and compassion of Jesus in the lives of other people. Amen? Here's a good definition of serving. It's real simple. Meeting needs with love. Meeting needs with love. The reality is that in this life, everybody hurts at some point. And everybody has needs. Just some people might be better at hiding it than other people, right? We know it's true. Because it really doesn't matter how nicely put together you might look on the outside. It doesn't matter if you've got a great house and a great job and drive a nice car. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're financially secure or, or, or all those things. Those things don't matter if you're having needs that are unmet in your life. And part of the reason that the church exists... Part of the reason the body of Christ is so important is we exist to meet those needs and to address those hurts with the love of God. Amen. And not just the needs of people who attend here. As a matter of fact, if there's anything the church really needs to get better at is taking what we have out into the community and really showing people the love of Jesus Christ. So one of the core values that life churches serve because we understand that we exist to show love and to meet needs and to serve others. Now, how important is it actually to serve? Well, in John 13, 35, it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Notice he said, by this. Jesus didn't say, I want you to be known for your great teaching. 
I want you to be known for your nice clothes or, or the good band. He said, I want you to be known by this. Have a reputation in the world as people who love other people. Amen. And hear me, you cannot love from a distance, can you? You can't love with your hands folded or with your heart closed. We want this church, we want the body of Christ to be known as a place of love, a place where you will be loved and a place where you can love other people, a place where you can meet needs and a place where you can have your needs met. So how do we implement this core value of serve in our lives? No doubt there's many ways you can do it. You can serve many ways in the community. There's a lot of ways to serve others. But one way you can do it here at Life Church is to join one of our dream teams. Those are our ministry teams. The secret to a successful life isn't by solving all your problems. The secret to a good life is learning to live out your purpose. Discovering what it is and then doing it. Finding a team, finding a ministry that you can serve on and be a part of right here at Life Church and live out your purpose. As Christians, one principle that we live by and we understand is that we give a first to God, right? The first part, the best part of our time, of our talent, of our treasure. And we know giving is always part of serving. But we do it. We serve others in order to grow in our relationship with God and to honor others through the love of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you don't know what your purpose is in our growth track, which takes place on the first Saturday of every month, a part of that, we explore how God made you uniquely and with specific characteristics and traits and desires uh, and to make you specifically qualified to accomplish the ministry or purpose that God has for each of you. Now, I did say ministry, right? Because without a question, God intends for every Christian to find a place of fulfillment in the body of Christ. And that is accomplished through actively being involved in ministering to other people. Now, here at Life Church, we believe every member is a minister. So it's our responsibility to be equipped. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 12. This is how they modeled it to us in the New Testament. Said, so now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. But I don't want you to miss verse 12. Here's what it says the role of the fivefold ministry is. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Don't miss that. It says the responsibility of ministry is to help equip the body so that we can do the work of God, building up the church and building up the body of Christ. Amen. 1 Peter 4 and 10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well, and don't miss this part, to serve one another. To serve one another. Matter of fact, that's the title of my sermon today, Serve One Another. Now, today and next week, you're going to have an opportunity to talk to our dream team leaders about how you can get involved in a dream team to make a difference in the lives of others. There's tables in the back corner over there. We're going to highlight some of the ministry opportunities. And we've got a lot of great ways that you can serve. We've got a couple of new ministries, a helping hands ministry. Wave your hands, Evan. Michelle, let me see this couple over here. They're heading this ministry up. It's an opportunity for you to use your, your physical gifts you're trained, the things you're trained to do to help. There's so many ways you can get involved in serving others. The key is use whatever gifts God has given you. Whatever passions he's put in your heart. 
Because naming your gift is not nearly as important as using your gift for the glory of God. Titles don't matter. The limelight doesn't matter. Just use who you are and what you are good at to serve one another. Now, how many of you know that for the most part, it's not too difficult to identify the talents that you have? Some of you are good at music. Some of you are good at drawing. Some are good at cooking. Some of you are good with kids. We need you in the student ministry. Some of you are not good with kids. We don't need you in the student ministry. (laughs) Amen. Some of you are friendly and warm and welcoming. We need you in guest services. Some of you are cranky and you don't know how to smile. We don't need you in guest services. Maybe we need you in helping hands. I don't know. But there's some place in the body for everybody. Amen. Every single one of us have a purpose and a function. After a while, you can tell what you're good at or what you like doing. See, our problem is not usually in identifying our talents or likes, but it's in using them for the glory of God. Most of the time, we're not using what we have been given by our Creator. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, and I love it. He said, if you are a street sweeper, determine that you are going to be the best street sweeper who ever lived. Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted. If you become the best street sweeper who ever lived, the world will be the path to your door to see the best street sweeper who ever lived. Amen. Be good at whatever you're good at. Be the best at whatever God has called you to be. And remember that the first step toward fulfilling the purpose, your purpose in life, is to understand there are no insignificant tasks. There's no job that's too good or too big or too small for us to do. Amen? Those who do great things have greatness in them, not just in their task. Let me say that again. The greatness is not what you do. The greatness is in who you are and what is inside of you. Amen? Because it will come out. If you will do whatever you're doing now with all of your heart as unto the Lord, and if you will face every task with that passion and a devotion to excellence that His work deserves, you will do great things because greatness will be in you. Listen, and I'm not preaching about this, but let me just give you another another little side note here. If you want to be successful on your career... You serve, you you work with excellence. You work with passion, amen? You have a great attitude. You watch what happens. The cream always rises to the top, amen? People ask me, Pastor, how can I make more money on the job? It's real simple. Show up early, smile, work hard, have a great attitude, be the most valuable employee on your job. And God will either promote you or he will send you somewhere that your gifts will be appreciated. I believe that, amen. Be the greatest sweet street sweeper you can be, and one day you're going to own the street sweeping company. <laughs> amen. Those who do great things have greatness in them, not just in their task. There's really four stages to our Christianity. Unbelievers become believers. Believers become disciples who begin to grow in their walk with Christ. Disciples become leaders who find their purpose and gift in life. And then leaders become servants, and they serve others. Did you notice that? The highest form of leadership is not a title. It's in serving other people. So my question is, where are you on the spectrum? Are you an unbeliever who still needs to take that next important step? Are you a believer who's still learning it to be a good disciple? 
Are you a disciple who's finding your purpose and becoming a leader? Or are you ready for that last great step, becoming a servant and serving others? Now, Jesus gave a, a really neat parable, a story that I think will really kind of help us talk about this thing about using our gifts in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. It's the parable of the talents. And I want us to read this, and I want us to take a look at this in our last few minutes here this morning about the using of our gifts. Let me start in verse 14. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and he settled the accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who has received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine how the last guy felt <laughs> after these first two? Here he comes, wiping the dirt off of the talent. He comes up in verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. I can hear him going, Well, you could at least could have done that. Put it in a a money market savings account, draw at least a, a 1% or a half percent. It's almost like sticking your money in a, in a sock now. Verse 28, and so he said, therefore, take that talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Wow, what a story. Now, when you start looking at this word, talent, what is a talent really? Now, we use the word talent differently today than the way they used it in the New Testament. A talent in the New Testament was a measure of weight. A talent was also used to indicate a large sum of money. And it, the value of it varied upon what it was. Was it silver? Was it gold? Was it copper? In the NIV, when you read this story, they called it gold. The New Living Translation called it silver. But Jesus wanted to teach an important lesson to us, I believe, here about, uh, about what we do with what we've got. He said the master was getting ready to go on the trip. I just read the story to you. He entrusted his servants, to his stewards, with his wealth. 
He said, here, you take five, you take two, you take one. I, know, I think it's interesting to note, it said he gave them to them according to their ability. And then the one guy brought back five, the other guy brought back two more, and the other guy brought back just the one. See, the interesting thing is, we have all been given talents and giftings and skills. Some people have been blessed to have more than others. There's some five-talent people. There's some two-talent people. There's some one-talent people. And when you get to heaven, you may ask God, God, why did you give me the, the one gift that you did? Or why did you give me the two gifts that you did? You might ask those questions. But understand, everybody has a gift. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a calling. Everybody has something they can do to give back. And this story, of course, it has a first reference application to how we invest our money, but it's also a secondary application as to how we use our God-given talents and abilities. And that's what I want to focus on in this message. Do you use your talents, gifts, or abilities to serve one another? Why should we even want to or be willing to serve one another? I want to give you quickly four lessons that we can learn from this parable from Matthew 25. Here's the first lesson from the parable. Number one, what we have is not ours. Amen? Amen. What we have isn't really ours. Verse 14 says that this man, this wealthy guy who's getting ready to go on a journey, he called his servants in. He entrusted his property to them. Now, by the way, it was very common for wealthy men to take long journeys. Before they would leave, they would often delegate control of their wealth to trustworthy employees. They called them stewards. They were expected to be stewards to bring in a return on what he, they had, uh, he had handed over to them. There was no doubt in the mind of these servants. They understood the expectation. They knew that the property and the money, though, even though it was in their hands, it still belonged to the master. They were the possessors, not the owners. Their job was to manage what they had been given. Likewise, we must also remember that everything that we have has been given to us. Come on, if you're a believer, amen, it is not really ours anyway. When you said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, you understood. You know what, Jesus? You're not just Lord of part of me. You're Lord of all of me. Amen? And I readily recognize that everything I have, every good and perfect gift, comes from the Father above. Amen. Everything. Psalm 24 and 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to Him. Everything. All of it. Haggai 2 and 8 said, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. He has the rights, but you and I have the responsibility. Amen. He is the master. We are the managers. I am the servant. He is the sovereign. Have you allowed this basic principle, though, to guide your life? Understands we don't really own anything. Everything we have belongs to God. We don't own anything. As a matter of fact, that's why you've never seen anybody pulling a U-Haul behind a hearse. Because you can't take it with you. As a matter of fact, if you ever see somebody who's passed away, guess what? Everything they have gets left to somebody else, right? Either a family member or maybe the state or maybe they, they give it as an act of benevolence to an organization. 
but we don't take any of it with us because it really doesn't belong to us. We're just granted time on this earth to manage it and to be blessed by it. Our days are in His hands. Our gifts and abilities are on loan from Him. Our money is just an advance from the Almighty. Our houses, cars, clothes, every possession, our children, and our talents and gifts all belong to Him. So the first principle is we have to establish and remember is that what we have is not ours. And when you understand that, it's a whole lot easier to share it with other people, right? Second principle we can get from this parable is He gives us what we can handle. He gives us what we can handle. I love in verse 15, we see the master gave talents to three servants, but he gave a different amount to each one. To one guy he gave five, one guy he gave two, one guy he gave one. And just to put it in economic terms, the first guy that got five talents, it was the equivalent of about $1.5 million. Modern day money. That's a lot of money. Amen. Second guy received two talents, about $600,000. The third guy got one talent, about $300,000. And the Bible says that each servant received talents according to his ability. Now don't miss this. Your responsibility is tied to your ability. Your responsibility is directly connected to your ability. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3 and 5, after challenging believers to be united by not breaking into subgroups who were following different leaders, that's a good challenge for the church in 2022, right? <laughs> Paul said this. He said, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. And I want you to notice this sentence, this last sentence. Each of us did the work the Lord God gave us. Man, what would happen to our world if we would all just live that last sentence? Each of us doing what God called us to do. Man, what a different world we would live in if all of us did the work that the Lord gave us or assigned to us to do. So here's the question. God gives us all the work. What is your task? And number two, are you doing it? What is your task and are you doing it? See, don't be worried about why God gave one guy five talents and he gave somebody else one talent and he gave you two talents. See, the question is, what are you doing with what you've got? What are you doing with your ability? Amen. Are you investing your talent? It's our job to be faithful to what God has given us to do. You have what you have because God gave it to you. And he expects us to manage his gifts and our desires within the boundaries of the abilities that God has wired into each of us. Amen. There are certain things that I would like to do, but God has not wired me to do those things. So I can either spend all my time being frustrated about what I can't do, or I can figure out what I do want to do and what I am good at and use that for the glory of God. See, God entrusted different stuff to different people according to His sovereign purpose. That's why it's called a body. My finger cannot do what my toe can do. Amen? My ears cannot do what my nose can do. My mouth cannot do what my eyes can do. But I tell you what, I really like having a mouth. I really like having eyes. I really like having ears. Please don't make me choose one. I kind of want to keep them all. And I want them all to keep doing what they're supposed to be doing. Amen? See, we get that. But have you ever thought that the body of Christ operates the same way? Fingers, toes, nose, ears. I wish my, my granddaughter was here. She'd go, hair, 
knows. She'd point to, but we've all got that purpose. See, the servants were not expected to match somebody else's accomplishments. They were supposed to be judged on fulfilling the faithfulness of their assignment. The master didn't expect the guy with one talent to bring back two. He expected him to bring back one more. Or the guy with two to bring back two more. Or the guy with five. And so how you manage what you have may determine if you get more in the future. That's what Matthew 25, 23 said. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Look at this. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. People are always crying, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to have more. I want. What are you doing with what you've got? Amen. It's kind of like the old principle of tithing. I've had people tell me, they say, Pastor, if I, if I made $100,000 a year, I would start tithing. No, you won't because you're not tithing at $10,000 a year. Amen. How you going to win it? Could it cost you so much more? Amen. See, it's a principle we live by. Number one, what we have is not ours. Number two, he gives us what we can handle. Number three, we must invest what we've been given. In the parable, Jesus taught the principle, you've got to invest what you've been given. Verse 16 tells us that the man that received five went and put the money to work, he got five more. The man who received two, he got two more. But the man who received one, you know what he did, Matthew 25, 18? He went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now, even though we don't read about any specific instructions for what he was supposed to do with the money, first two guys went to work and multiplied their investment. Amen? The one talent guy went off and buried his blessing. And by the way, the practice of hiding valuables in the ground was actually pretty common back then. It was the safest way, but it was also the least profitable way to protect your possessions. See, possessions, though, are not about protecting. Possessions are about multiplying and blessing others. My question is this. Are you investing your gifts or burying your possessions? Sure, it might be safe to bury your talent and to not serve. It's safe. You avoid being misunderstood. If you're not serving, you avoid getting your feelings hurt. Come on, somebody. You avoid feeling underappreciated, which how many of you know we all feel that way at times, right? Raise your hand if you've ever felt unappreciated, amen? This isn't a trick question, right? If you're married, you have felt underappreciated. Come on, if you're a parent, you have felt underappreciated. If you volunteer in a church, you have definitely felt underappreciated, right? If you serve on the PTA at school, you have felt underappreciated. We all do from time to time. So it's much safer just to bury that town, not use it. You avoid getting your feelings hurt. You also avoid accountability. I don't want to serve on no team. I don't want Amy calling me up and wondering if I'm going to be there for guest services. I don't want Clarissa asking me, hey, don't forget it's your Sunday to serve. You avoid having to not be selfish. But you also avoid not being part of a team. You avoid the sense of accomplishment and self-worth that comes from serving. You also avoid hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Did you notice he didn't say, well said? Well said, good and faithful servant. 
Well-intentioned, good and faithful servant. Good idea. No, nope. well done. Well done comes from well-doing. Amen? There was a boy named Antonio who wanted to sing in the Cremona Boys Choir. True story, but was not accepted because his voice was high and squeaky. Any men remember that? Age 11, worst year of your life, right? Remember that? So you know what he did? He tried his hand at music. He took violin lessons, but he was so bad that his neighbors persuaded his parents to make him stop. Yet Antonio still wanted to make music. His friends gave him a hard time because the only thing it seemed like he was good at was whittling wood. So when Antonio was older, he began to serve as an apprentice to, ironically, a violin maker. His knack for whittling grew into a skill of carving, and his hobby now became his craft. And he began to work patiently and faithfully building violins. By the time he died, he had built over 1,500 violins, each one of them bearing a label with his name in it that read Antonio Stradivarius. The Stradivarius violin, in case you don't know, it's one of the most sought-after violins in the world. And one of them sold in 2011 in auction for $16 million. Antonio couldn't sing. He couldn't play. He couldn't preach. He couldn't teach. But his responsibility was to invest and use the ability that he had. And you know what? His violins are still making beautiful music today, and they are the most sought-after musical instrument in all of the world. All because somebody didn't let somebody else tell him, you don't have anything good to offer. Amen. Come on. You might not be able to sing. You might not even be able to play. But man, you can make a beautiful instrument. See, our potential is God's gift to us. But what we do with it is our gift back to God. Your potential is God's gift to you. Your gifts, your talents, your desires. That's God's gift to you. But if you want to give God back a gift, you give that back to Him. And you serve Him and bless others with that gift. Zig Ziglar said, you are the only person on earth who can use your ability. You are. So my question is, are you investing what you've been given, regardless of how much it is, or have you buried your blessing and kept it hidden from others? Come on. What we have is not ours. He gives us what we can handle. We must invest or use what we've been given. And the fourth point, and I want the praise team to come, we will be held accountable. We will be held accountable. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Nobody wants to be audited by the IRS, do we? <laughs> but did you know one day we're going to be audited by the Almighty? We are. We are going to give an account for how we've used what we've been given. Look at verse 19 of Matthew 25. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and did what? He settled accounts with them. 
Now, for believers, hear me, that ought to be exciting. That ought to not be something that we're afraid of. That ought to not be something that we're regretting. We ought to be looking forward to that day. Amen? Jesus is coming again, and there is going to be a day of reckoning. And while most of us believe this in our heads, we don't always live it out in our hearts. Because if you would think more about his return, we would probably be more focused on making an eternal return on his investment in our lives. I want you to stand with me all over this house. we got to be faithful in doing whatever it is that he's given us to do. He's invested something in you, and one day, guess what? He's going to come back and say, Lisa, what did you do with those talents I gave you? Carl, what did you do with those gifts that I gave you? Michael, what did you do? What did you do? Did you just sit in the middle of the church and sing beautifully? Or did you come to practice on Thursday nights? And did you come early on Sundays? And did you stay for two services and sing your heart out? Did you use your gifts to bless the body of Christ? What about those ladies that are working in the nursery right now so that we can enjoy service without screaming babies. Amen. All you mamas are probably like, thank God, I get 75 minutes. 75 precious minutes of peace because somebody is serving. Kids upstairs right now in kids' life, being taught the Word of God, worshiping, singing, having a blast, getting sugared up probably. Amen. Then we're going to hand them to you to take them home. Amen. Because people are using their gifts for the glory of God. You walked in, somebody shook your hand and smiled at you, offered you a cup of coffee. Because somebody's using their gifts for the glory of God. Your job might be big or small, but whatever it is, do it to the best of your ability, the Lord said. 1 John 2, 28, and now little children, abide in Him that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Here it is. If you want to have confidence when he comes, just do whatever he's called you to do. Well, pastor, I don't know what he's called me to do. That's all right. He'll show you what he wants you to do. Some of it he's already put in you with your gifts and your desires. He's not going to ask you to do something you hate. Because that doesn't work. Amen. That's why we don't voluntold people anymore. We used to do that. God bless you, Davina. We love you. I really need you to teach the toddler class. And that works for about three weeks. Then we find out that Davina hates kids, and that's not true. I'm just making that up. But God will put you where he equips you and where he wants you. And you know what? Let's not be like that guy that said, Master, I knew you had high expectations, so I just didn't do anything. Man, Hello, this is an IQ test. Don't just bury it in the ground. Don't just have excuses. Don't just say, well, man, I got burned in my last church. Or I served in that ministry and the leader didn't really appreciate me. All of that might be true. I asked God to use me, and so I served, and then I felt used. Well... You ask God to use you, amen, and then we're surprised when we feel used. According to your ability, according to your gifts. And can I just challenge you right now, if you are a believer and you don't have time to serve other people, 
you've got to change your priorities and make a decision say, I'm going to carve out time in my life to serve others because this is how people know a disciple of Jesus. If we have love for one another. And you can't love from a distance. And you can't love with your hands closed and your heart sealed. You've got to love. And then one day, Matthew 25, 23, the Lord's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So I want to close this service right now by giving you an opportunity to respond. We have altar calls at this church. First of all, if you're still on the fence about your walk with God, I want to give you an opportunity to take that next step and become a believer. Repent of your sins and invite God into your life. Take that first step. That's the most important step. More important than worrying about, hey, can I sing on the platform or can I greet at the door? No, no, no. you got to get your life right with God. Invite Him into your heart. Ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Begin that walk today. But then there's another group of you here. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you love the Lord. Maybe you've been serving. But can I just call you out? You've buried your talent in the ground. What God has called you to do right now is covered with dirt. You've hidden it. And we can talk about your reasons, but that's not important. But you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to pull it out from under the ground and wipe the dirt off of it and say, I'm ready to get engaged again. I'm ready to serve again. I'm ready to make a difference. I'm ready to put God back in to my life. And then there's others of you who are serving. And God bless you. Let's give a big hand to everybody that's serving. Come on. And you know what I want to encourage you to do today? When you step out from where you are, I want you to walk down and just say, God, maybe I've been a little bit weary. I've been hiding it pretty good. Maybe I, sometimes I just feel a little bit burned out. But God, I just want you to renew my strength. I want you to renew my passion. I want you to remind me that I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Because let me assure you that when you remember that everything you're doing is unto the Lord and not to men, great is your reward. So as the praise team begins to sing, I'm going to open up this altar. And if you're in whatever category I just mentioned, I want to invite you to come and say, God, I want you to help me find my purpose. Or God, I know what my purpose is. Help me to re-engage. Or God, I'm already involved, but God, help me to do it with joy in my life. Pastor Rodney said it so well. Help me to be a cheerful giver, a cheerful servant, a cheerful servant so I can show the love of God. This altar is open. Would you come? Amen.
Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. Lord, I just pray that you would help us today, God, to reconnect to your purpose in our lives, to reconnect to your passion that you put in our hearts. God, I know you've gifted me and you've called me to do all that I can to do more than I am, Lord, for your glory. I want to be a kingdom builder. Not my kingdom. Not the kingdom of my business or my family. God, I want to build your kingdom because I know, God, that if I put you first, that you will bless every other area of my life, God. If I seek first your kingdom, that all of these other things will be added. So, God, I just pray that right now, today, you would burst something in our hearts. I pray for every believer not yet connected, not yet serving in a ministry, God. Place it in our hearts, God, that we can't just pass the buck on to somebody else. But God, we've all got to do our part to advance your kingdom and your cause in this world. God, help me to be aligned with my purpose so I can fulfill my destiny and I can find fulfillment that comes from only walking in agreement and in covenant with you. I thank you for this today. And we give you praise and glory and honor. I said amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Let me encourage you. Today and this week, we're going to have some brochures for you next week that outline a lot of these ministry opportunities. Stop by some of the tables in the back. Ask some questions. Doesn't mean you're obligated. Just ask some questions. But I want to challenge you. But time, this is over to make sure you are serving and doing something in the kingdom of God. Not just for our benefit or not just for the benefit of those you serve, but for your own personal fulfillment. And so the hand of blessing can be in your life when the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. And last reminder, men, men's conference is only two weeks away. I'm asking every man to make it a priority to be here for our men's conference the first weekend of June. Be sure to register in the lobby if you haven't already done so. We're going to have a great time. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Have a great afternoon. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday. Amen.